This is K-Pop Unmuted, a place for in-depth discussion of K-Pop. We're your hosts, Stephen Knight and Scott Interante. On this episode, we'll be discussing EXO's new album with our guest, Ariel Alkire. Ariel is the Los Angeles correspondent for Hello Asia, a music and culture blog based in Sydney, Australia. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is super exciting. I mean, I, I sort of feel like I know you guys already through K-pop <laughs> social media. I know what you mean. So I'm super excited to actually get to hear your voices and do some live talking, not just on like the Twitter nets. Yes. So we're going to be talking about the new EXO album, X-Act, or Exact, if we don't want to pronounce that apostrophe. <laughs> so maybe could we start with your background with the group XO and sort of your relationship or status as a fan of the group? <laughs> I, I like them. I've come to appreciate them. I wouldn't call myself a huge fan, but I do certainly appreciate what they're doing. I appreciate also the power of the group as a sort of an international phenomenon. And so they're very curious to me in that regard. Their music to me usually sounds a lot like shiny, but with some extra harmonies in there Ooh, okay. since it's a larger group. I'm not an anti-fan, but I'm not like the hugest fangirl in the world either. I'm somewhere, I'm somewhere in the middle. Like every once in a while, there's a song that I really like, but I'm not like waiting with bated breath for their next release. Well, you just reviewed a concert of theirs in Los Angeles a few months ago. Do you want to tell us what that was like, seeing them live? Yeah, actually, that was really cool. They are incredible performers. Most of these K-pop acts are that I've gotten to see that have come to the States. And like, really, you cannot fault these kids for their energy and their stage presence and their performance abilities. And especially we consider all the music shows that they go on during the weeks. And then they have these bigger concerts and everything they do. Like, they're really workhorses. So... It was a lot of fun to see also a larger staging. They had these incredible digital screens that they used on the stage. So that was really neat to see sort of not quite a full production that you would see in Asia, but like a slightly scaled down to bring it overseas. But it was it was really impressive. Great. So let's take a step back and just talk for a minute about who EXO is and uh, maybe their concept. EXO is a, well, they were originally a 12-member group from SM Entertainment their original idea was that they were split into two subunits, uh, XOK, which sang and promoted in Korean, and XOM, which sang and promoted in Mandarin. And also, of course, the group promotes and sings together as a 12-member group, or they originally did when they had 12 members. Over the years, they have lost three of the members of XOM, Chris, Luhan, and Tao. And they've continued on as a nine-member group. They still record in Korean and Chinese, but I, I doubt they're promoting as a three-member XOM anymore. Right. <laughs> they're kind of an interesting group as far as the concept of the group. They tend to be big on symbolism and puzzles and anagrams and things like this. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can recognize their visual aesthetic. It's always some sort of geometric thing, or even in their music videos, like I'm thinking about the Overdose music video, which starts with them sort of going through that maze of the main EXO logo and all that sort of stuff. But The maze is big. The, yeah, exactly. There's all sorts of mazes and puzzles and math things, kind of similar to FX, but taken 
more seriously than FX, I don't think, ever really plays with the math concept. <laughs> right. But, you know, to me, the main thing about the group is their dancing. I listen to their albums or their singles, and I, I usually like them. I don't mind them. But whenever I watch a music video or a live performance, it gets me so much more into it because they're so energetic. They're so, so good with the tight choreography and they just put so much into it. I think they're really a cut above almost every other group in terms of dancing. And that's always what really sticks out to me about them. Yeah, I think, like I said before, what I find fascinating about them is their global appeal. And so they were originally designed to promote in both Korea and in China, but they have a huge following in Japan and their following in Japan is so large that they chart in Japan without promoting there. And they were invited, I think, last year or maybe earlier this year to perform in a Tokyo Dome. And I think that's a situation where you have to be invited to perform. You can't, like, SM can't book that. So they're so popular all over Asia. And now it's spreading out into the West, into North and South America and Europe. Their draw is just so powerful. They've had to shut down fan events in Asia because of overcrowding and crazy behavior on the part of the fans. They have big problems with stalkers. It's really fascinating as a phenomenon from that point for me. You know, and they've been around since the end of 2011, early 2012, and they've really put out a ton of music in that time. This is their third full-length studio album, and they all seem to have, they like to play off the EXO name, mm -hmm. right? So the, the first album was XOXO, like Hugs and Kisses or Kisses and Hugs, <laughs> and and you had the Exodus album, which maybe is unfortunately named considering the group's history <laughs> right and then this this album is x act which as you mentioned scott it has the apostrophe well their last tour that came through la was the x Olution tour and let me tell you that's really a challenge to wrap your head around spelling and where the apostrophe is and all of that so <laughs> right. yeah that one i think is a little too much that name <laughs> so xo is the exodus album they do a variant cover for each of the members but there's no bonus material on any of the albums so if you're a super fan and you have to catch them all you're literally buying the same thing like nine or 10 times, right? That is genius. So SM Entertainment has figured out how to sell the same thing to the same person multiple times. Right. I feel like that's similar to AKB48 in mm -hmm. Japan where they have voting and you can vote as many times as you buy the CD, which is kind of a cruel <laughs> thing to do to your fans. But I guess that's the bottom line. And there's also the bubblegum card trick where you get random photos or something right. in the CD, yes. so you have to keep buying it until you get your bias. Right. The singles from this album are Lucky One and Monster. I think they were released pretty much at the same time. So let's start with you, Ariel. What, uh, what do you think of those tracks? Lucky One sounds to me like it should have been a shiny song. Yep. I don't know that I would have liked it any better or any less. It's sort of like, eh, okay, eh, I know what they're doing, it's fine, whatever. I did appreciate the use of the flute. You don't find a lot of flute in, in K-pop, so that was amusing. But the, the music video... I am of an age where that scenario sort of reminded me of an old Star Trek episode. I think it's called I Mud. Oh, and yeah. the crew of the Enterprise has to outsmart these robots, has to break these robots. And I appreciated that the way that Kai tried to break the robot was through dance. That <laughs> seemed incredibly appropriate since he's like the known dancer. So it was amusing, but it wasn't like phenomenal. Monster, on the other hand, I think is like the classic 
XO. That's what we expect them to sound like. That's what we expect them to do. It's kind of like the total package. And I would put that up there as like one of the perfect, I call it K-pop perfection. Mm. It's a really solid video. It's really slick. I don't know if it's just because of all of the unrest going on in the US right now, but the whole imagery of revolt and revolution and that kind of thing was... I don't know. It, I was thinking, like, what would that look like if this were an American music video? What would yeah, that look like absolutely. if these were black kids? What would these look like if this was like an interracial kind of crowd? What would that What would that meaning be here in the U.S.? And of course, it doesn't have that kind of meaning over there. Right. It's sort of like a generic rebellion. Videos from like the mainstream groups—they're not political in any way. But it's interesting that I'm finding myself like reading that or like decoding that in this from a Western perspective. These videos were very violent. Mm-hmm. You know, you had heads exploding and you had somebody being roughed up by some stormtrooper types and of course blood and all sorts of things i think it, it went to a level beyond what you see in a lot of k-pop videos yeah a lot of exos have had a lot of street violence in some of the earlier iterations they've had a lot of like teen gang kind of fighting and fisticuffs sort of action but this does seem a bit more organized it seems to me like they live maybe in the same world in the future as 21 Maybe Big Bang. <laughs> I was just going to say, come back home, especially. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. There's a whole long list of uh, post-apocalyptic, dystopian future K-pop that we could. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a great list. It's a really fun list. Yeah. For another episode, we'll have to do that. Yeah. Right. I also think that the number of YouTube views also speak to at least how I feel about these two songs. So Lucky One, as of today, is, was like 12.2 million. And Monster was at 26.8 million views. So clearly wow. the fan favorite is Monster. I think everybody universally agrees that that's a really solid track. So well done, SM. You nailed it again. Yeah, for me, I almost completely agree with you musically. Lucky One is sort of sonically more my style. Disco-y guitar dance track rather than a really hard synth hip-hop dance track, especially because it reminds me of Shiny, and Shiny is really like the top tier boy <laughs> band to me. But I think that it's like a bad Shiny song. Mm -hmm. Like I think if Shiny released this, I would say oh this is a big step below and in particular to me it loses me in the pre-chorus where it, it slows down the momentum we lose the drive and there's this 20 seconds of slow build up to that chorus where i think it'd be much more impactful to just go right into it <laughs> But I think sometimes what we get with bigger groups like this is because you need these line distributions and you need different melodies and different sections. It can sometimes get bogged down when doing a more traditional song structure like this. So for me, Monster is much more effective, even if it's less interesting to me stylistically. It's just so much more their style and what they excel at. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Well, I hate to make it three for three. That makes it less interesting, right? But uh, I, I agree with the YouTubers and the two of you. I mean, Monster, I like a lot better than uh, Lucky One. I should say I like that they were trying something different. And really, you can hear that on the whole album. I've actually seen a lot of people complaining about it online, that the album doesn't sound as much like an XO album as 
their fans might expect, and I think this is a good example of them trying something different. And in this case, I don't think it was particularly successful, but I do like that they're experimenting with other things. That's really funny because to me, listening to it today, it sounded totally like an EXO album. And like the <laughs> only track that surprised me was Artificial Love. Oh. Everything else, I was just kind of like, and it's another EXO album. And I've listened to it once and I don't feel like I really need to listen to it again. But Artificial Love, I was like, oh, this is different. This is like a club dance kind of number. It's got some interesting stuff going on, a little more experimentation. But to me, it totally sounded like an EXO album. And if you like slickly produced, popified, mass market R&B, this is what SM does best. So this is like, it's right. excellent. Like, it's really well produced, but it's just not exactly my thing. You know, we've talked a little bit about Lucky One, what we like or don't like about it. Monster, to me, is all about the chorus. The verses are very rhythmical and spare. It seems like their role is to build up tension and anticipation for the chorus that comes in. I noticed that the, the rap section, I guess it's really a rap verse because it mirrors the verse in that the rhythm changes, the vocals at least speed up toward the end the way that the vocals and the verses go double time and the percussion right. speeds up, building up that anticipation for the chorus. So, you know, without that chorus, I don't think it would be a very interesting song, but that chorus is just so mm -hmm. good that that may be my favorite song on the album. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, that chorus actually feels like Overdose, though, mm -hmm. but not as interesting. I think, you know, there's kind of weirder chord changes in Overdose that I really like. Everything about this song to me was pretty generic. But again, I think they just do that so well. They do the straightforward generic stuff so well that I don't mind it. And then you couple it with the visuals and then the incredible dancing, right. and it just becomes a really tight package. So Ariel, you mentioned uh, Artificial Love. Would that be your pick of a standout track on, on the rest of the album, or did you have another one? Yeah, Artificial Love definitely I thought was the most interesting to me, and then closely followed by Cloud Nine and Monster. Heaven, I thought, sounded sort of like an Infinite H song. That's what it sounded like to me, which is probably a really weird comparison and will upset a lot of people, a lot of XOLs. <laughs> but, I mean, I like Infinite H, but I liked the club thing that was going on with Artificial Love. I thought that was really fun, and it surprised me. And I like to be surprised. I like to be caught off guard and see them do something unexpected and to experiment more. You got that That one reminds me a little bit of the Tame In solo stuff. Oh yeah. That sort of sleek club, almost Michael Jackson-y vibe yeah. with a futuristic spin to it. You know he's Tame Man now. Oh really? No, but no, that, no. That's, the, oh. that's the that's the joke. <laughs> he's right? grown up. He's grown up. Uh, <laughs> I was like, wait, when did that happen? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, Ariel, it's interesting that you picked Artificial Love. That's also my song and that you've been talking about Shiny because that was my first thought from the very start of that song, it sounds like a shiny song to me. You know, I'm not usually a big fan of EXO's rap, but the sort of murmuring rap style in Artificial Love I thought worked pretty well. 
And one thing that was interesting was there's a pretty short section where they switch back and forth. It's actually between two members and then between another two members during a rap, sort of figuratively passing the microphone back and forth. <laughs> That's interesting. I did not hear it as a shiny song. Like a lot of EXO's music I do hear is like, oh, this sounds like a shiny beast track that they gave to EXO or something. But I didn't hear shiny at all. I'll have to listen to it again and think about it in those terms. I mean, shiny gets to do, not to like turn this all into a shiny conversation, but they get to do some of the most fun and most experimental male music coming out of SM. Yeah. So I could see that as a shiny track and I would like to hear that as a shiny track. But I like the low kind of, the use of the lower range in that, which is not something you usually hear from EXO, and maybe that's what I liked about it, too. So, for me, I will pick a different song, because you guys are boring and picking the same stuff. The one that always stood out to me every time I listen is actually the last song, Stronger, uh, which is kind of a piano ballad. Also not what I typically enjoy from them or really from anyone, but I think this song is so good. It's actually just four of them singing. Uh, it's Chen, Baekhyun, Dio, and Suho. And I don't know, I think they all sound so great on it. And the chord changes are interesting. It's kind of got this jazzy piano accompaniment. It's a really beautiful song that I, I love how it closes the album out. You know, a departure from the dancier stuff that came before it, but I think it's a really great song. Every time I fail, every time I fall, Every time I doubt, every time I lose, I'm feeling stronger, feeling stronger. You know, Scott, when I heard that you were going to pick that as your song, I thought, this is great. You know, this is the reason that I like to follow K-pop people that are interesting on Twitter and, and read reviews and things like that, because songs that I dismiss after listening to half of it, I go back and listen to and I can appreciate a lot more. And I thought, I'm going to go back and listen to this song. It's going to really be great. And I, I don't know. I didn't, it, it didn't, it still didn't appeal to me after going back and listening to it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It kind of, it kind of struck me as like a... Christmas song, you know, the arrangement yes. of it? Yes. Wow. It sounded like one of the songs off of that Christmas album they did. That's what it sounded like to me. Wow. Well, you couldn't blame them if that's what they were trying for, because I think those sold quite a few copies. No, yeah. No, I mean, they sell. SM is just raking in the money. <laughs> like, yeah. I think there's just something about jazzy piano chords that sound like Christmas, because so many of those mm -hmm. Christmas standards were written in that Tin Pan Alley time period. It's like a chestnuts roasting on an open fire sort of sound. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess I'm just the weird one who likes this piano ballad at the end of the album. But... No, it's cool. And I will say that I didn't realize that Chen has a lovely and amazing voice until I got yeah. to see them in LA. And I was like, Chen has a lovely and amazing voice. And everyone around me was like, yeah, where have you been? So <laughs> I was like, I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, they all sound really great on this song. One thing that struck me was when an album came out and I downloaded it, it's 22 songs. 
And of course, that's because there are 11 in Korean and 11 in Chinese. Right, For some right. reason, there is a Korean version of the instrumental tracks too, and a Chinese version of the instrumental tracks, which is exactly the same. So <laughs> I think somebody, somebody didn't up. really think it through. Right. But I remember, Scott, recently on a Pop Unmuted show, you said that no pop album needs to be longer than 10 songs, <laughs> right. which makes a lot of sense. And so that really jumped out at me that there were 22 on here. And my first thought was that this is SM marketing geniuses. This really makes sense for the digital streaming age. If this were a CD, it would have to be a double CD and have extra packaging and you would charge twice as much. And who's going to pay to right. get this all the same songs in Chinese and Korean? If it's streaming, you get a lot more downloads. You know, I know I listen to the Chinese versions. Why not? I've got them. It didn't cost me anything extra because I have an all-you-can-eat sort of deal on Apple Music. And I thought, you know, it doesn't cost them any more really to put it out. That's really interesting to me. And I will say, though, that I would suspect that putting out a physical album in Korean and a physical album in Mandarin, and people do buy both. That's the thing, is that people do buy both. Teenage fangirls buy both versions. So they're literally buying the same thing twice or three times or more or more or more, which is sort of the magic that SM has managed to work here. Yeah. See, for me, when I downloaded it, I only put on my phone the Korean versions and not the instrumental tracks at the end. So to me, it is a nine song album and that's perfect. Right. It's, it's the perfect <laughs> length and it does everything it needs to do. And then it gets out of the way and then I can go listen to something else. So to me, it's great. Pete Townsend said a rock and roll song by definition should be no longer than three minutes, 55 seconds. Right. <laughs> right. And that's that's exactly what this makes me think of, like nine tracks for a pop album. I Yeah, 10. That's, that is good. There are plenty of pop albums I like that are 12 or 14, but in general, I could do a 10. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good that's a good rule of thumb. I think that if you love XO, you will probably be delighted and enjoy this. And if you're looking to get to know XO, this probably isn't a bad place to start. It's not quite my bailiwick. I think there's a couple things on here I'd listen to more than once. I don't know that there's anything I feel like I need to add to a playlist that I need to carry with me on my phone, download it or anything like that. But it's it's nice to see where these guys are going and to kind of see where they're headed. When the album actually came out, I was traveling. So I downloaded the album and put it on my phone to listen to before I actually watched the music videos for the two title tracks. So I listened to the album three or four times actually before seeing any of the visuals. And I was definitely a little underwhelmed, like I said, but then when you watch that music video for Monster, it's just so exciting mm -hmm. and it really makes everything better. As an album, I think Exodus was stronger. I actually think that was a really strong album just to listen to. And this one I think is good. It does what it needs to do, but it's, it's not anything particularly special, I think. In light of the lukewarm reactions, I feel like I should chime in and say that I'm glad that we chose to do an episode on EXO because EXO is one of those groups that I tend to neglect. I have a lot of EXO in my music library, but when I, for example, if I try to think of who are my favorite boy bands, obviously I agree with everyone. It's shiny and then everyone else, but I think through five or six of them before it occurs to me, you know, EXO has a lot of good songs. I enjoyed going back and listening to some of the really good EXO songs. And I think that there are maybe three or four songs on this album that uh, that I really like that are going to make it onto uh, one of my playlists. Cool. So let's move on to our last segment, the unmuted K-pop song picks. The idea of this usually is that we pick 
a recent song that uh, we're not going to have a chance to discuss in detail. Ariel, have you chosen a song that you've been thinking about? I have, and actually I have two, but I'll be really quick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I couldn't choose. I thought one, and I was like, no, wait, this other one's important too. So I have been totally binge listening to a track off of Benzino's new album. The album's called 12. And the song is called Saturday or The End of Saturday, I think is actually the English translation. It features Black Nut and it's produced by PJ. And PJ is a producer that Benzino's working with for a very long time. I mean, very long. How long has he even been around? But anyway, I totally love it. It's super synth pop. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of a sucker for like 80s new wave synth pop anyway. And so that's where a lot of K-pop kind of gets me. But this is really interesting to come in from a rapper, I think. He actually experiments with a couple different genres, like there's a rock and roll track, there's some more ballady stuff on this album, so it's really interesting to see a rapper, someone who's like a straight-up rapper, working with these different genres. But I just totally am in love with the song, and the lyrics are much more romantic than he usually is. He's, I think he's softening in his old age, but it's a really sweet song, I really like it a lot. I hear a lot of rap recently because my son is really into rap. And one thing about it is that it seems to be so trendy and everyone has the same style. And, you know, the idea of somebody taking various sounds and, and rapping behind them a rock song, a synth pop song is really interesting. And then the other one is Kiha and the Faces, who a lot of younger fans might know as the old guy that IU is dating. <laughs> right. Kiha, Shankia, but his band, he's an indie rocker and they've been around for a while. They just put out a new album and I haven't listened to the whole album yet, but the few songs that I've heard off of it are really awesome. And my favorite right now is called The Smell Is Gone. You have to watch it with the subtitles. The genius of it is the narrative and how it reveals the relationship through the story. And the rap is fantastic. If Ariel can break the rules, maybe I can too, because <laughs> I'm going to pick a song that is not a recent song uh, whatsoever. The last few weeks, I've become really obsessed with Park Ji Yoon's Adult Ceremony, which is also sometimes called Coming of Age Ceremony. I think I must have heard it before. There have been a million covers of it, and it sounded kind of familiar, but I'd never heard the original version until just a couple of weeks ago. Gabrielle Wilder, writer from Australia, tweeted about it. It's from 2000. It's her first release with JYP. She was with the predecessor to Lowen before oh. that. And the song is actually written by JYP, which just, you know, say what you will about the guy, but uh, he's done some incredible oh, stuff yeah. over his career. One thing that I thought was interesting was how it uses the human voice as an instrument throughout. It starts off with, I say voice, but it starts out with unvoiced breathing, this rhythmic breathing that continues throughout the song as sort of a percussive element. It sounds like drum brushes, has that kind of sound to it. And there's also another part where heavily processed chorus of voices comes in with a, a yeah, which any Brave Brothers fan will tell you is usually the best part of the song is the yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was really cool. Very prominent in the song is, I don't know whether it's an actual instrument. It sounds sort of like, I don't know if they have electronic versions of them or, or if it's just a synthesized sound that sounds like it, but it sounds like the gayagum, mm. traditional Korean instrument, which is basically a zither or a kodo, that kind of instrument. And what I like about it is that's not a totally new idea to use a traditional instrument in a pop song, 
but usually it's sort of a, a decoration, something that's thrown in there to liven things up a little bit. This is really the most prominent instrument in the whole song. So I've been really enjoying listening to that. video is pretty interesting too. Yeah, that's the one with the sewing machine, right? right? That one shows up on lists of sexy K-pop or like old sexy K-pop. And she has a lovely voice. She's just lovely. She does. And it's a very suggestive song, especially for the time period, apparently in the K-pop world. Another thing that strikes me about the song, it's such a weird, great song. And it's so amazing that it's such an iconic, loved song in the K-pop world. I mean, it's been covered by everyone, including, you know, male idols in slinky black dresses. And, you know, as recently as Twice did a cover of it. Mm. So this is, here we are 16 years later, people are still singing it, doing covers of it. I think it just shows how the cream doesn't always rise to the top, but there is support in Korea and, you know, amongst K-pop fans for some really unusual songs. And, oh, I, and that's, I think that's why people are still recording them and, and we get to listen to them. Yeah. So, I guess I'm also going to break the rules a little bit. If we're all doing it. <laughs> it's so hard not to. I know. To. That's kind of why we do this section is because there's so many great songs that come out every week, every day in K-pop, and we can't cover them all. So, I was originally going to talk about the new Sistar song, I Like That, which is kind of their first since Alone in 2012 that is not a totally upbeat summer dance track. And I love that from them. And I think it's really a beautiful song. But I actually changed my mind last minute. I want to talk more about the new Taeyeon solo single, Why. On our last episode, we talked about two Girls' Generation members going solo. And so now <laughs> we have to add in this third with Taeyeon. I think this is actually maybe the best out of all three of those. It sort of cops Jessica's music video style. It's shot, it seems like, somewhere in the U.S., in L.A., in the desert, all sunny. It's another mid-tempo sort of inspirational track, but it's just so, so much better than Fly. I know you liked Fly, Steven. I'm sorry. You just had to get in another dig. I had to get in another dig. This one is so much better. And it kind of includes this tropical house trend which is popular here in the states and starting to creep into korean a little bit i just think it's it's really well produced she sounds amazing the video is fun everything about it is i, I think really great i still haven't listened to the whole mini album i'm very excited to do that but i just wanted to give that song a shout out as another solo artist from girls generation It was great to have you on, talk to you about XO and, and a few other things. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This has been super fun. 
So Ariel, where can listeners follow you and uh, read some of your writing about K-pop? Sure. Um, I write for Hello Asia, and then my personal Twitter, my K-pop Twitter, is xoxox Ariel. You can find me there. Very appropriate. Exactly. That's why we had you on today. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's why. It has nothing to do with them, I swear. <laughs> so you can follow our show at K-Pop Unmuted on Facebook or Twitter. You can check us out at kpopunmuted.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Scott Interante. That's I-N-T-E-R-R-A-N-T-E. Or Steven, where can people find you? My Twitter handle is at Tennessee Appeal. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play. Leave us a rating or review if you like it so that more people can find the show or just share it with everyone you know. Thanks for listening.